You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. So we're continuing on in our in our, our study, obviously, in the <laughs> never-ending study, um, in the in the book of Mark. And it's like week 17 or 18. I always lose count. I don't know. My numbers, even on my notes, aren't accurate. I don't know. You might know. Um, but the, uh, yes, we are continuing on in this and yes, it is a, a next step in our conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. But each and every single one of these messages and is an opportunity for movement, um, for every revelation of God, for every revelation of God, there's a due response towards God to be good stewards of what he communicates to us. That, you know, we receive it. We see that in the first, in the first soil was a, a refusal to receive the seed of the gospel, of the word of God that would just fall onto hard soil and would be kind of like, it would just, it would just land with a thud. It would, maybe a little bit of dust would fall up, but there was no reception of, of the seed. And as we continue to move forward in it, we, you know, this last week we started and we're going to wrap up this week um, looking at the second soil and the significance of what it means to receive the, the seed, but to do so recognizing the cost that comes with receiving the seed. That there, there's shallow receptance of the seed and that, that it, there's minimal growth as a result of that. And so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit further into our message today. And that's, that's, that's going to be in Mark chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, you can. Um, but again, I kind of want to attach this to... Um, that yes, there are independent things, and yes, there's a study we've been going through and all that. But it's also a part of the, the movement of God in our life. That we're there's things we're supposed to we're supposed to do things with what God shares with us. That it's it's not an, an entertainment. It's not an engagement of the mind. It's not a mental exercise. Um, what this is is God doing something in us, and then as good stewards of that, we take that and do something through us. And so, as a movement of church, as a church, we've kind of gathered ourselves around some core principles and some core ideas that these are the things that we kind of like, it's our, it's kind of like our, our grid, that all these, the blessing, the idea, the resources kind of flow, flow into. And that is that we are, to, and this kind of will be up here on the screens in front of you as well to kind of give you some visual. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I kind of want to, you know, keep kind of mentioning it to you so you have an idea of what we're talking about. But we are intended to be um, disciples of Jesus Christ, who, by a result of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, guide people towards finding life, discovering life in Jesus Christ. Maybe we don't. I, I've, I messed up, I'm sure. There, oh, there it is. Okay, so we do have it. And so that is, that is what we're about, okay? And that, that is our, our simple, we want to say who we are as a church, that's what we're about. We're being disciples who guide people towards discovering life in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we're about as a movement, okay? And so with that, as a thought of it, how do we unpack that? What do we do? What are the, so that's the idea. That's the kind of the why behind who we are and what, why we exist. But like, what do we do to help accomplish that? What are some of the behaviors we put into play? Um, and if you want to hear more about this a couple of weeks ago, I gave a message on this idea. But the, just as a reminder as to where we're going and kind of the, 
the grid that all of our energies have a tendency to, f- to flow into. And what we kind of organize ourselves around is that we are a family of missionary servants. And that, and that when we function as a family, as we, as we function as missionaries, and we function as servants, that there's an overlap. And in that overlap is where the life of Jesus Christ becomes discoverable, tangible, experienceable. A couple weeks ago, we had an event called Incarnate here, where we kind of spent the Saturday to kind of unpacking the significance of Jesus' incarnation, him taking on flesh and coming and making his home among us, moving in as our neighbor and displaying for us what the life of Christ entails. And that was his goal. He came, he didn't just send, God didn't just send words to us. He sent the word to us to make his home among us, to dwell among us, to give us an example of what godliness looks like within our lives and also to help us, to give us an understanding that he knows everything that we experience. He was tried and tempted, yet without sin. He displayed what the life of Christ is that he desires that we all would experience in this abundant life. He displayed it. He functioned within it. And so our desire, our goal, is to function not just as a family, okay, that's important, but not, not just as missionaries and not just as servants. All those three things are drastically important. But if, if we operate out of one of the three of those things, if we don't function in all three kind of within the same area, then we represent an incomplete picture of what the life of Christ is all about. And so today, as we kind of continue moving forward in our study in uh, the book of Mark and continue studying specifically this parable of the sower and the significance of what this looks like, we are not going to be able to function like this. What we have set ourselves up towards doing is 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 a tall task. It's not an easy thing. We're not gonna be able to accomplish this within our own strength or within our own capacities. Like we are not gonna be able to do this. We're just not. But when the life of Christ has permeated our lives, and through that, we live, or are then able to now live the life of Christ. This now becomes attainable. That if we are living in a second soil kind of mindset where we have received the truth of the gospel, but maybe it was presented to us in kind of a shallow way. We talked about the benefits of salvation without first discussing the cost of salvation. Then we get a misunderstanding as to what salvation is all about. We think salvation is about our story, but the reality is it's about God's story. We think that we're the hero in the story and receiving the good news of the gospel, but the reality is God is the hero because he has made the good news of the gospel accessible to us. We think maybe that the idea of heaven is our reward for our reception of the gospel. Because no, heaven is just a consequence of what God has done in allowing us to, he took our sin so that we could receive his righteousness. And through the reception of his righteousness, we are now acceptable to God in heaven, as with, in, in temporal sense here and also then in the eternal sense when our eyes close for the final time and then are reawakened, to be absent from the body is now to be present with the Lord. And that is good news. That is really good news. And so the second soil is so significant to any level of spiritual growth. It's important for us, and I kind of encourage you to consider how that looks you know, for you, that there's, again, one purpose for every passage in the Scriptures. There's one purpose, but there's multiple applications, as there are listeners. There is a, an application, because the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the Scriptures and then applies it to your life. As you hear it, there's things that are going to pop up in your mind that I'm not going to say. There are things that the Holy Spirit is going to take and activate into your life to use them for the purpose of transforming you into the life of Christ, to be a representative, to be an incarnated person, to be a sent person into your places of influence from your neighbors all the way out to the farthest of the nations. God is going to transform your life and and send you with purpose to be able to accomplish the things 
that he has, that he has for you. And so let's continue on in our, in our study. We'll stand up and, and let's read out of honor of the scriptures. Um, if you didn't come with a copy of the scriptures this morning, Geraldo is in the back. And Pastor Geraldo will be happy to bring a Bible around to you to put in your hands. Just kind of raise your hand and he'll be happy to bring it to you. It will also be on the screens in front of you. And uh, again, we're in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 4. Um, we're going to continue kind of reading through this together. And then we're going to you know, move on into the, the third soil probably next week. We probably won't get to it today. Um, but a very important conversation for us to have nonetheless. So Mark chapter 4, we're going to read the first nine verses and then verses 16 and 17. So this is what, uh, so once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat and he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some, feed, some seed fell on the footpath, and all the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the, but the, ple- the, the plant <laughs> soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So let's jump down and get an understanding as to the second soil, the significance of it. Jesus explains it in verses 16 and 17. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So, Father, I pray that you would activate your truth into our lives. We want to receive the truth. We want you to chip away at the rocky soil within our hearts and lives. pray that you would allow us to see with clear eyes today and obedient hearts to receive your message. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So kind of in a unique spot, because last week, as y'all noticed, I, I didn't intend to not complete the message. We just got into it, and there was just a lot of really hopefully helpful stuff for you. So there was a lot of things I needed to share with you as being faithful as, as, as your pastor. And in, the, in that context, we just didn't get through the stuff. And I didn't want to rush into the back end of this message, because I also think that it's just incredibly important uh, and life-giving for us to you know, really examine our, our faith, because an unexamined faith is what? It's not a faith worth, worth having. We should be able to examine our faith. We should be able to be challenged and encouraged, um, even convicted when it comes to where we are in our spiritual life. And through that, see, by the way, conviction is not bad. Okay? Say it with me. Conviction is what? It's not bad. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you know what? Conviction, it's not bad. Say it to him. Yeah, a high-pitched voice like this. I'm high-pitched Peyton Manning. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so it's not bad. Okay, it's not bad. So what is conviction? Conviction is when God speaks to us and challenges us on an area of our life. Something that maybe we didn't do that we should have done or something that, that we did do that we shouldn't have done. God is leaning in and he's drawing us closer to him. Whenever he brings conviction into our life, he's saying, hey, I'm not done with you yet. Look at your neighbor and say, he's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. 
Yeah, so he's still working on us. Philippians chapter 1 says he's going to do that ongoing until the day of Jesus. So if you don't have it all together, I want you to know that is not a bad place to be. The only thing that is bad is if he is revealing certain things into our life and into our heart that we are irres- that we're kind of not res- that we're, where we are resistant towards. That's where things get rough. That's where things get bad. Like my tongue was resistant to the words that were going on in my brain just now. Okay, if that were to happen in your spiritual life, that becomes bad. We don't want stuttering. We don't want stammering. Okay. By the way, I had speech impediment as a kid, and occasionally it pops up from time to time. One of my greatest fears about public speaking is that I will do that. Okay. So, thanks for having patience with me. So here we go. So as we're moving forward into this whole idea, okay, it is it's crucial that we recognize that God is moving in your life for the purposes of revealing His life through your life. So He's doing things in you to start with you, but to end away from you. One of the central tenets of Christianity is that life is intended to be received and then to be given. That you receive life for the purposes of giving life. And that's why we're aiming at this fourth soil. That's where the success in the spiritual life really flows out of the fourth soil. A 30, 60, or 100 time increase both from the seed that was originally placed within you. That is what we are after. So to get there. We need to work through the first soil, which again was what? It was the hard soil. The seed didn't go anywhere. It just, it just landed with a thud. It wasn't received because of a variety of different reasons. The seed just didn't sit, and Satan came and took it away. Because he always wants to take away the things that God is trying to put in. He's always going to do that. So that's happened in the first soil. Second soil, as we talked about last week, is it just began to receive it and receive it with joy. There was even an emotional like, response to the truth. That was exciting. It was maybe something I wanted to hear. Maybe because I was the centerpiece of it. Maybe it was easy evangelism. Maybe it was just an easy message. And because it was an easy message, I was taught to, or, you know, to believe that it was a, I was the centerpiece of it. And if I was the centerpiece of it, then why would I not receive that? What's the bad end to this deal? What is the challenge of this? But see, with all the blessings of salvation, there must always be an understanding there's a cost as well. Whenever the big crowds would gather around Jesus, he would, he would do miraculous things. Sometimes they were there just to be fed. Some of them were there for the show. Some were there so they went back to their deal and they're playing with shekels or whatever they're doing with dreidels. And they could be like, hey, I was there. I was with Jesus. I saw it like I was there. I saw him take the five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people. I saw that happen. Yeah, I was there. But Jesus always raised up the bar. He would raise up the bar. And that is essential for us as followers of Jesus to recognize that we cannot be followers of a culture of Christianity. We must be followers of Jesus. And that he is going to lead us into challenging places where our faith is going to be tested. Where it is going to be able to be legitimized. We are going to be persecuted for our faith. Then we hear persecution and we think about a lot of what happened in Oregon with the shooting at the schools, that kind of thing. If you were a Christian, you were shot in the head. If you were not, you were shot in the, in the leg. Like there, you're, there, there's that kind of persecution, okay? The stuff that's happened with ISIS, that kind of deal, that's persecution. But you know what also can be persecution is your hesitancy towards living the life you're supposed to live, the life of Christ in your workplace, because you're afraid you might not get, get that promotion. Or that there might be some isolation in your social life. Now, some would maybe hear that and think that's funny. Like that's a joke in comparison. To some, but that is what's in front of you. That is the persecution that, make, that, that will come your way. You may never have a gun pointed towards your head and say, are you a follower of Jesus, yes or no? And have to have the choice of saying yes or no. You, uh, you may never have 
that placed in front of you, but you will have the obstacles of loneliness, of isolation, of fear, of sadness. You may experience, you will experience those challenges because Christianity is not a populist movement. In order for Christianity to be popular, it requires losing an essence, and that's the cost. It it is popular when you just talk about how Jesus will take away all the stuff, but the evidence of Jesus in filling our life through the power of his Holy Spirit is that we'll be able to stand when persecution and problems come related specifically to the gospel. And those are going to come. So just kind of so we're all on the same page from you know, last week. Just want to kind of bring it together. A couple of questions that kind of guided that message and this message is, is my commitment to Jesus based in conviction or convenience? That's one question to consider. The other one is, what do I do when I experience problems and persecution for believing God's word? What's my response? It helps me understand whether we're moving into the third soil. We have to deal with the competition for the gospel. Right now, we're looking at just the hardness and the difficulties that come because of persecution. Basically, it's a commitment question of the gospel. Because genuine faith perseveres and shallow commitment falls away. It just does. So some of the marks of shallow commitment, one, is there was, a, there was an eager acceptance, sorry, an eager acceptance of the gospel message. Um, this is all from last week. So eager acceptance of the gospel message. There was then falling away when persecution comes. So then why, why, why does it matter? And that's kind of where we landed last week. Um, because something as significant as our salvation, we cannot afford to get wrong. And so the first point that we discussed last week was that selfish motives are not sustainable motives. That if I am entering into a relationship with Jesus because of the blessings of salvation without understanding that there's a cost to salvation, then I'm going to fall away when persecution and problems come. You think, man, I didn't sign up for this. We talked about the danger of it. I passed around Twinkies to you guys. And I said some of the danger when it comes to the idea of, of, of this easy believism is that it's, got, it's kind of like using a Twinkie to get someone onto a treadmill and then expecting them all of a sudden to stop liking Twinkies once they're on the treadmill. It's an unfair expectation that we use things that will maybe create a conversion experience into the life of somebody, but that very same thing will disable their discipleship growth. And so there's that delicate balance between entertainment and engagement, the delicate balance between using media and media using us. There's this delicate balance between trying to provide something for you that will entertain and feed a consumeristic tendency that's within all of us, and at the same time recognizing a responsibility to communicate the gospel message in a way that can be received. Because ultimately, my responsibility and the responsibility of followers of Jesus is to flesh out the life of Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, sometimes some of those things that we use to engage for conversion purposes will disable the person when it comes to their discipleship growth. That's always a delicate balance and, and challenge to be able to flesh out. Because if our motives are selfish, they're not going to be sustainable. And that will reveal itself when the problems and persecutions come in relating to the gospel message. The next thought was this. Was that shallow faith ultimately is no faith. That that's becomes clear in this parable. That when the shallow faith gets revealed, it's revealed because everything dies. It wasn't sustainable. There was no deep roots. There was nothing of sustainability underneath it. 
Sometimes the biggest plants grow deeper underneath the soil before they ever pop through. But sometimes some of the more the easier, like shallow growth, things that because the sun comes out will ultimately cause a plant to wither and wilt. It's because it doesn't have a deep root. It doesn't have a base to be able to pull nutrients from when things do get hot, when things do get difficult. And one of the most gracious things that God can do for us is to allow those things to reveal the condition of our faith. For some, it can be challenging. Well, that chip, are you judging? Are you like all up in my spiritual grill? Like what's going on? Like what are you, what's happening right now? Are you, like I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. That is God, that is the grace of Jesus. Allowing you to see the condition of your faith to either be encouraged or to be aware that the shallow faith that's present, that gets revealed because when persecution and problems come relating to the gospel, I fall away. That faith may not be a saving faith. See, ultimately, the legitimacy of our faith is seen in our obedience to Jesus' teachings. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 8 and verse 31. He said this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, So these are the believers of Jesus. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. So, you know, just kind of basically, what is Jesus saying? He's saying that we know that we are going to be, we are his disciples. We are followers of Jesus. We are believers in Jesus. We are faithful to flesh out his teachings. Regardless as to the challenges that come our way, we are faithful to his teachings. So our faith is shown to be legit by our Actions. Our actions don't make our faith legitimate. They reveal that our faith is legitimate. There's a big difference there. You're not saved by your faith, by your actions. Rather, you're saved by grace through faith. We are, we are welcomed into relationship with God, but our relationship with God is shown to be legitimate because of our actions. By the way we treat others, that, we look, that it looks like the life of Jesus Christ is pouring out from us. That is our default setting. That is our regular programming. The old programming was taken away, and all new programming was placed in. The old life was taken away, and a new life has been placed there by Jesus Christ. And so the way we now function, our default settings for life, are now ones that are consistent with Jesus. Now, we can choose. We can still choose to sin. Jesus put it this, Paul put it this way. He says, hey, in your freedom, you know, choose to love and serve one another in the midst of that freedom. Don't use it as, uh, as a license for for returning to slavery, you know, as you have in the past. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. So we are to do the things that Jesus did for the reasons that Jesus did them. And an emotional commitment only carries us you know, so far. We can receive the message with joy, which is great, but it falls away when persecution arises. And we'll know the legitimacy of our faith when that persecution does come. In other words, the gospel truth was sown into the, into the soil. It was received, but kind of engaged the mind. It never really penetrated the heart. There was never a true difference in the way that someone lived their life because a mental and emotional agreement that doesn't change behavior isn't genuine faith. And I know that's not a popular thing to hear, to understand, but you got to get it with something as significant as our eternal life at play and how we're to live our life here on this side of eternity, we just can't afford to get it wrong. Problems and persecution from obedience 
uh, to the gospel doesn't have to cause us to fall away, though. It actually can be one of the most exciting and good things that ever happens in our life because it allows us to see that our relationship with him is held strong and held good. You know, one of the things that happened when Brittany and I started dating is when we had our first fight, and that was early on just because of our personalities, okay? But it allowed us to go, okay, like our relationship can be tested. If I was, uh, if I was afraid to push back, to something that was said or done out of fear for how she may turn and run away, then what kind of relationship do we have, right? If she was afraid to be able to direct something back at me and to challenge something I did or didn't do or whatever it was, which were probably many, many, many things, she's afraid to do that, then how much confidence can she have in our relationship? God is allowing certain things to come into our life, the persecutions and problems relating to the gospel, because he's enabling it to show us how strong our faith is or to reveal our shallow commitment to faith so that we can ultimately end up with this good soil of 30, 60, or 100 times his original investment. So the evidence of genuine faith is persevering through persecution. That is good news. The evidence of genuine faith is persevering through persecution. In other words, the same persecution that causes one person to wither and to fall away is the same persecution that strengthens and emboldens the next person. And so we're able to get an idea and understanding as to where we are in our relationship with God when these times of persecution and problems come our way. That's good news. The same persecution that causes shallow faith to fall away causes genuine faith to become stronger. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, Peter says this about these times of problems and challenges. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, okay, interesting there, we'll come to that in a second. After you suffer a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. Does it seem interesting that he's going to permit us to suffer for a little while? See, if we have a thought that God exists for my pleasure, we have a really hard time with that. If we think that that we exist for his pleasure, then we're okay with this. If we think that we are the centerpiece of the world, and to some degree, God kind of, if I'm in a right relationship with God, life should kind of have a simple place and should flow well and should be consistent and kind of like some level of convenience into my relationship with God and then it has it express itself through my life. I'm going to have a really hard time when persecution and problems come. But if I expect it, if I recognize that these things are going to come, and that God, as the, as the owner of me, as the Lord of my life, is going to permit these things to come into my life, but he's going to also provide relief. And he's going to do it in a way that's consistent with his ways. If we remove the cross from the life of Jesus Christ, then I think it is fair for us to be upset when challenging times come. But because the cross of Jesus Christ is a centerpiece of the Christian story, then... What is unacceptable for me to experience in my Christian life? At what point is suffering an an unexpected result of me following Jesus? Let me put it this way. 
in the life of Jesus Christ, suffering and sacrifice is the pathway to, to the life of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God was built and established upon the sacrifice of Jesus and is furthered through the sacrifice of the saints today. It is how we flesh out the life of Jesus Christ that really truly matters during these times of persecution and during these times of problems. One of my just core thoughts is that the greatest Christian apologetic is not the Christian life when things are, are going well. To me, the greatest statement that Jesus is what he says he is and that he is able to sustain his followers, the greatest Christian apologetic, the greatest argument for the faith of Christianity is a Christian that suffers well. It's the Christian that deals with hard times in a way that is consistent with the life of Jesus Christ. They doesn't see themselves as one who should be recused from hard times. It recognizes it is a badge of honor to be able to display the life of Jesus Christ during the times of persecution and problems. It, is, it was God's kindness, as we see in 1 Peter 5. It was his kindness that called me to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. And so because of what Jesus did enables me to have this eternal glory, to share in the eternal glory. So after we suffered a little while, he's going to restore, he's going to support, he's going to strengthen, and he's going to place you on a firm foundation. So I kind of have a couple seconds, I want to talk about the idea of persecution a little, in a little deeper levels, Okay. There's, in general, two different types of persecution and problems that are going to come your way because of the gospel. One type of persecution and problem that will come your way is persecution that comes from outside of the faith. Um, some examples I shared earlier of Oregon, ISIS, as examples of persecution that is outside of the faith. It's persecution that comes your way from people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, have no interest in Jesus Christ, are not committed in any way, shape, or form towards Jesus Christ. Their idea of Jesus is not consistent at all with the biblical teachings of Jesus. It's just, it, there's no commitment to Jesus. There's never been a code to Jesus' face value. They are completely outside of, of the faith. And they may treat you wrongly because of your commitment to Jesus. That your lifestyle, because you're fleshing out the life of Jesus Christ, it is going to be completely incompatible with their lifestyle. It is polar opposites. It is oil and water. It is the full disconnect. And therefore, you may be mistreated, you may be persecuted, the problems may come to your life because of, of that, right? Okay, so persecution outside of the faith. There's also persecution, though, inside the faith. And this is a lot trickier. And many times, it's a lot more painful. Because it's people who have either a uh, statement, they, they say they are Christians, they grew up in a Christian setting, went to a Christian school, have some idea. They may even have a, a, a saving faith in Jesus Christ, but they will say something, kind of like Christianese persecution. You know what it is? Like, bless his heart, you know, those kind of things. You know, or, oh, well, you know, let me just tell you about this. You know, I want you to pray for so-and-so, so-and-so. And kind of, it turns out that they, they ultimately kind of like begin to undercut you and persecute you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's inside the faith, and it becomes really confusing, Right? Like, when did friendly fire become something that is okay within the body of Christ? That Aren't we aware that if I cut off this arm, it's going to impact this one? Like, isn't that something that we are aware of? And that can also be really, really painful because it's kind of like something you, you, you trust and you're vulnerable to your own body. 
You know, you're vulnerable and you trust your brother or your sister in Christ. And then when that friendly fire comes your way, you just didn't see it coming. And you may not ever be aware of what's actually being said. But it's still being said and it still hurts because it's still something's corrupting the body. And that's a real challenging situation. Persecution within the faith can be painful. The way Paul described it, you know, a whole list of things he talks about. He's like, hey, I was shipwrecked three times. I spent a day and a night at sea. I was beaten I mean, five times with, you know, uh, 39 lashes, all these different stuff. And he says, and then there's persecutions from inside the faith and outside the faith. Persecution from brothers, from the Gentiles, as well as from the Jews. And he's like, and there's the, you know, the daily burden I have for, you know, for all the churches. That made, that made his list. Is the, is the problems he feels from those inside and from outside. This can be really challenging types of persecution because when you begin to live your life as the life of Jesus Christ in a culture where there is an idea of Jesus, there will be con- conflicts that's there that arise because the way that the life of Jesus Christ is being fleshed out within your life may be just a little bit different. The level of fervency, the level of faithfulness that you are per, you're pursuing your relationship with Jesus is going maybe a little bit different than someone else. It's not going to be drastically different. It's not oil and water. It's not whatever. But it requires a lot of grace to be able to communicate through that, to be able to remain unified in the midst of seeing things differently. That we care greater for our body than we do for our own preferences or ideas relating to our faith relating to that. As a result of that, we become stronger. We don't wilt, fall away, and experience some form of, of, of friendly fire towards each other in the midst of that kind of persecution. Ultimately, we are promised in that First Peter chapter 5, verse 10 passage, he's going to place us on a firm foundation. Ultimately, and, and, and if any of you are experiencing this kind of like persecution, experiencing this kind of frustration, this kind of pain, this kind of vulnerability. I hope this is helpful to you, this next, this next thought, this next statement. You are never going to appreciate firm foundation until you first experience an earthquake. You're just not going to. You're never going to really experience the, 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 the benefits, the blessing of living on a firm foundation until you've first gone through the earthquakes. And so if you find yourself right now where things are just so unstable, you find yourself there, I just want you to be encouraged because he's promised us he's going to, he's going to restore. After a little while, he's going to bring back. He's going to place into proper order. He's going to ultimately put you onto a firm foundation. So where does that, where does that land things for you today? What's your due response? Because again, for every revelation that God shares into our heart, there is a due response that comes as a result of that. Like, what do we do with what we have just, we've just heard? Or for one, I believe that God is speaking to you about that very thing. About what it is that you are to do. Last week, gave an opportunity, and of course this is available at any, any time, anywhere, any place. But certainly in a gathering of, of people who are listening to the message of hope. To respond in a way that your life is transformed forever. That maybe you examine your faith and that whenever persecution and problems come, you're, if you're honest about it, you're like, I have a tendency to fall away. 
And the greatest thing that God can do in your life today is to, to help you see that. And the great news is, is you're only one honest prayer away from a right relationship with God. And that which he is revealing to you, he can also restore in you. And he wants to bring forth the harvest that he's intended for your life to experience through the life of Jesus Christ. This 30, 60, and 100 times it's your original investment into your life. And in doing so, you will flesh out the life of Jesus Christ as close to you as your neighbor and as far away as to the nations. Peter gave a similar challenge to the people that had gathered to hear his message in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And he stood up and he told them, hey, you guys, by the way, he's like, hey, all of you that are listening to the sound of my voice, you guys, you guys, all of you, like you were the ones that put Jesus to death. You put the Son of God to death. And that was really great, exciting news. They were like, yay, we were proud of ourselves. And anyway, obviously that, that's a hard thing for someone to hear. But to their credit, one guy stands up after hearing Peter say all that. He goes, brothers, what are we to do with this? What do I do with it? Help me know what I am supposed to do with all that you just said. And this is what Peter said to them. He said, there's a personal responsibility. He says, repent of your sins. Turn to God for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what he said. And then there was a public thing he said too. The personal thing is a personal repentance. The second thing was a public thing. He said, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So what what might God want to do in your life today with this truth? First, is we all have to come to a point in our relationship with Jesus we recognize that there is blessings of salvation and there's a cost for salvation too. And to, as a result, we repent of our sins and make him the centerpiece of the story. We're no longer the centerpiece of the story. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you are the centerpiece of your story. But when you step across that line of faith and Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, he's not just the Savior, he's also the Lord. At that moment in time, he's the one that calls the shots. And he is giving you an invitation today to do that very thing. To experience what life is intended to be, where Jesus is the centerpiece of the story. And we're going to know this is true because the authenticity of our faith will be evidenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. If it is a constant struggle all the time for you to obey the teachings of Jesus, then you probably don't have the life of Jesus Christ Inside of you. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul says this to a gathering of people in Philippi, to a gathering of, of, of Christians in Philippi. He says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so he has these things that are pleasing to him. This idea of what he wants you to become. And he is calling you into that. He's not just doing it. He's working in you, giving you the desire, the want to, to please him, and the power to be able to do it. And so if there's a constant struggle with figuring out what it means over and over and over again to honor God, and there's never a joy or a power to be able to fulfill his expectations for our life, we have to see if we do have a genuine faith. 
because he's going to give us the desire and the power to be able to do what pleases him. So now we don't have to figure it out. We don't have to self-rehabilitate. We don't have to germ it up. We don't have to psych ourselves up. We don't have to put on jock jams as we wake up every day and figure out how to go after this thing and charge the day. We don't have to, we don't have to do all of that because he's giving us the power and the desire to be able to do it when we're in a right relationship with him. He's never going to put an expectation upon you. He doesn't give you the power to be able to fulfill. Apart from him, though, we can do nothing. So, for the one who's examining their faith and the point where they're like, hey, I'm encouraged by this because, hey, there are times coming and there's been difficult and persecution and problems. But you know what? I'm encouraged today because I've seen how my faith has grown. The very thing that will debilitate one will strengthen the other. And for the other one of you, as you're looking at your life and going, you know, whenever these two problems and persecution related to the gospel do come my way, I fall away. Well, the great news is this, is that God has just given you access and understanding as to where you are in your relationship with him. And that is the greatest gift he could ever give us. So let's respond in accordance. For those of us who, you know what? Let's maybe struggle today. I I I want to pray for you. We're a body. And as a part of our body struggles, the whole body feels it. They want to rally around you and pray for you and encourage you to be able to remain faithful to this good fight of faith. And for those of you, we want to rejoice with you. As you've come to this awareness, God has opened up your heart allows you to see your need to receive the seed of the gospel in your life, we want to celebrate with you. It's a great day. It's a great day. And so let's pray together this way. So Father, today, I thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're activating uh, the truth of the gospel and that you're laying it into the hearts and lives of those of us who are hearing. Just as Jesus said, in this parable, we want to have ears to hear and hearts to obey the things that you are saying to us. And so will you please transform our lives from the inside out that you would not allow us to have any incomplete understanding as to what you have for us, but through your kindness, God, will you lead us towards repentance? Will you draw us towards our need for you? For those of us who are aware of our shallow commitment and shallow faith, God, I pray that you would allow us to have a renewed faith, one that is present not because of the blessings of salvation, but one that is aware of the cost also that come with following Jesus. And we would make an intellectual, emotional, and spiritual commitment to you today to follow you as the leader of our life, And for those of us who have made that statement of faith that we are are in the middle of just really challenging times. Persecution and problems maybe in our house. Persecution and problems with our place of work. Persecution and problems in our kind of relationship lives. I pray that you would give us the ability to endure, we have a big picture in play, that you will allow us to suffer for a little while, 
that just as Jesus hung on the cross and he did suffer for a little while, you restored, you redeemed, and you raised him to life. And you were going to do the exact same thing in our lives that you desire to restore, you desire to redeem, and that you will raise to life those whom you have given life to. There may be hard times and sorrow and struggle and difficulty, but you know what? Blessed be your name. We're going to struggle. We're going to have a hard time, but we are not going to quit. We're not going to turn back. We're going to put our hand to the plow and walk away. But because you can keep us, because you are the one who is perfecting us, because you are the centerpiece of our life, you're going to hold us together. So as the band plays this song, I just want to maybe just give you a little bit of of kind of congregational care for a second. And I want to have an opportunity maybe just to pray over you specifically today. If you find yourself in that position where, you know what? Life is difficult and there are persecution and problems that are coming into your life. I would love to pray over you and I'd love for our church to be able to pray with you as well. If you find yourself in that place, just ask you in this kind of safe spot, the safe place. We just come and stand right here in front. I would love to pray over you. I'd love for our church to be able to pray over you as well. Anybody find themselves in that place today? Will you stand? And a couple of you that know Lindsay and Melissa, may you come and display your love and care for them, placing your arm around them, praying for them. you know what's going on in these lives. You know what's happening in their families. You know what's happening in their, just their, their spiritual lives. You know the persecutions. You know the problems. You know the difficulties. But you also know of their faithfulness. And you know of their commitment to you. You know of their resolve that many times they've laid in their bed at night, been driving in the car during the day, They've been alone for the brief moments of the day and they have felt the temptation of the easy way out. Of the broad road, the one that leads to death and towards destruction, but is the easier way out. God, thank you for their commitment to you. Thank you, more importantly, for your commitment to them. Thank you for the way that you have been with them through these difficult times. Thank you for the way that you have strengthened them. Thank you for the courage that you've given them to be here in front of us today. 
saying, I need prayer. I need someone to care. I need someone to be with me in the midst of my difficulty and pain. Thank you for their humility. That you have promised that you will give grace to the humble. You resist the proud, but you will give grace to the humble. And so I just pray, God, over their life today, that there will be an outpouring of your grace in such a powerful and real way that they would be able to stand strong today. They'll be able to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. That you don't allow them for their, weak, their knees to get weak to the point where they cannot stand. God, I also, in a, in a way, I, I pray that the pressure won't go. But beyond any time, that is your permission. God, I pray that I'm not praying for an easier time. I'm not praying for a lighter weight. God, I'm praying for stronger backs. I'm praying for endurance. I'm praying for the development of character. Inconsistency with your ways and with your purposes. Would you accomplish your purpose, God, through this time? Would those who are outside of the faith that examine their life, whether they're the ones causing the persecution or they're just ones who are observing in a way that maybe Lindsay and Melissa don't even know, would you allow them to see you more clearly for the way they handle this stress, this pain, this pressure, this persecution? God, I pray that the rest of us, there may be in a season where we're not experiencing this, that we would use our strength not to prop up our lives, but we would use our strength to prop up their life. That as a body, that we would suffer well together, that we would celebrate well together, that we would rejoice, and that we would struggle well together as a family of missionary servants. God, we trust you with these situations and with all the rest. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.